there's a lot of people who basically say, oh yeah, we know everything. The end, the beginning, and every, everything in between. And I would just say, we need to keep examining and re-examining. Truth loses nothing by closer examination. There's absolutely nothing to lose by right. studying it closer. And I would just say, there's a lot we do have a pretty good grasp of, but there's a lot more that we just don't have any clue right. on. We aspire to become awakened beings, to live in harmony with the truth of life. From Vast Noodle Media, I'm Trent Bell. This is Knowing and Believing, a podcast about how we believe. Okay, so welcome to episode number, uh, I think we're around five somewhere, <laughs> episode number fill in the blank here, <laughs> um, of knowing and believing. Uh, thank you for tuning in on YouTube or listening on the podcast. Today we have Sean Brace, a fellow Andrews graduate, and I'm not close enough to that mic, um, fellow <laughs> Andrews graduate and pastor in Bangor, Maine, That's Bangor right. Church, and uh, Seventh Adventist pastor of the denomination I was for most of my life, uh, currently kind of not Adventist anymore and not kind sure. of, I, I don't know what I call myself <laughs> now. I'm, uh, you could be a seventh day agnostic. That's one of our, Ooh, one of I our, have not heard that before. Yeah. One of our people who's in our missional community, uh, he calls himself a seventh day agnostic. I, SDA. I have a lot of, um, psychological baggage and, uh, personality issues that mm. I think are, um, affecting me in a way where I just need to take a break from any group spirituality yeah. at this point. Group. Yeah. Like I, and, and I don't know where I'll end up. Oh, and by the way, there's some water over there. If you want it, I'll put it conveniently right next to you. So you don't go dry. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> just take the whole thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So I, I have read a lot of stuff that you've read and shared on social media. We've spoken a lot in the past and I really appreciate your thinking approach to things and, uh, and, and really kind of questioning the status quo a lot, mm. uh, similar to what, um, I've seen a lot of the stuff that Ty Gibson's doing yeah. recently, which I really appreciate, uh, his more, uh, thoughtful, somewhat philosophical mm -hmm. approach to that. I was worried I didn't hit record, but I did. Good. Good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, a little bit more bravery to go right into mm -hmm. the difficult questions and approaching a lot of things from logic and, uh, and discussing the, the questions that people come up with when they really start to doubt and question. And uh, it was interesting. Um, one of the people I went to SVA with had commented on, uh, had started following the videos I've been releasing. And after SVA, after graduation, they had kind of gone through an existential thing and become atheist. And I had shared, uh, that light bearers thing. Mm -hmm. Is there a God, which I thought was a, you know, a great discussion. It could have been a little more critical from obviously <laughs> from my position, but mm -hmm. whatever. And, uh, and he was really taken back. He was like, wow, you know, Christian apologetics has come a long way since I, be since I became an atheist. And so I, I think there's, that kind of leads into one of our mm -hmm. first questions here about how the, the landscape of spirituality, uh, community, 
spirituality and everything else is changing. And, and I know you've been thinking about that, writing on that a lot and dealing with that a lot. So, um, yeah, Sean Brace, pastor of the Bangor Church, St. Adamus, uh, glad to have you here. And uh, just go right into the questions, I yeah. guess. And <laughs> Let's do it, Trent. And you had also mentioned you'd like to discuss a little bit like uh, your experience with Adventism that, that had some similarities to mm-hmm. what you've heard me talk about, mm-hmm. but how it seems like you've had a different, um, a different kind of, maybe not response, but kind of a little bit different experience and re- different response mm-hmm. to it. So mm-hmm. um, to go in that to that as well, maybe first, because yeah. it seems like you have. Yeah, it's a good. Um, well, it's a good launching point because I, I uh, listened uh, to your, your episode with Caleb and Caleb and I have talked quite a bit and, um, you know, we have, you, Caleb, myself, have kind of known each other for a little while. We did go to Andrews together. We didn't know each other really well at that point. Um, but, um, yeah, like I'm, cause I am on a journey as well. And you guys talk about deconstructing faith and I'm kind of at a place where I'm deconstructing church in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've, that's yeah. kind of what I was talking about from, yeah. from seeing your post, which is interesting to me. Cause I, I had always found this like every week, once a week we come together and, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's a very antiquated thing mm-hmm. where it used to be very farming communities. And I'd heard something recently where the car was a huge <laughs> disruption mm-hmm. to community spirituality mm-hmm. and everything else, because mm-hmm. that all diminished. And now with, I guess social media and everything else, mm-hmm. it's having that same effect. Yeah. Yeah. Know. So, so I, I've been like re-examining and deconstructing faith maybe more broadly. Like I'm still firmly committed to and excited about like the, the big uh, answers that say Christianity in general and Adventism in particular offers. Um, I'm seeing very acutely where we have oftentimes um, focused on the wrong things in our faith and in our practice of them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to whittle it down to its bare minimum and the essentials. And right. so I think a lot of what we've been doing as a church is is uh, majoring in minors. Right. Now, you know, we could go into all of that and, you know, it may be for another episode, but... Um, but the, the thing that I'm finding is similar in your journey is that, number one, yes, I, I am kind of deconstructing things. And I'm also, like you guys recognize, um, there's a lot of arrogance that, that, that is involved with, you know, our particular community of faith and, you know, a lot of Christians in general. Well, I think any, any uh, spiritual belief that's held anywhere beyond, uh, you know, general ag- agnosticism mm-hmm. as, as it you know goes into that realm of no we're certain about this mm-hmm. that it crosses a line that i think becomes dangerous long term mm-hmm. i think i think it really yeah it uh to to not hold it in an open hand and to think you've got it you know into a yeah. polished mirror yeah. finished cube all of a sudden you don't have to think before you start jumping off cliffs mm-hmm. or, you know, throwing other mm-hmm. people off cliffs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but, but I think what I've kind of landed on is that Adventism at its best is, and, and that's the way I tend to try to look at it 
Um, maybe, you know, you and Caleb might be reacting to Adventism at its worst, which I guess <laughs> I would say I've done as well, but I still see like really awesome redeeming qualities to it. Yep. And Adventism at its best was actually started on the premise that we need to hold things with open hands. Mm -hmm. uh, we never would have existed had we not said, hey, there's a lot more that we don't know about and we need to keep like examining and re-examining and learning and and studying and even a, a woman that, you know, Adventism holds in high regard, who is one of our founders, she says, truth loses nothing by closer examination. Like there's absolutely nothing to lose by, right. you know, studying it closer and to questioning it and, and, and trying to wrestle with it. So like to me, uh, there, like there's a lot of Adventists who are arrogant, but Adventism at its like core identity is not at all opposed to questions and and further truth and learning and growing right. um, and saying, hey, you know what? We don't have it all figured out. Now, again, like like I think you and Caleb experienced, like there's a lot of people who basically say, oh yeah, we know everything. The end, the beginning, and every, everything in between. And I would just say, I think we there's a lot we do have a pretty good grasp of, but there's a lot more that we just don't have any clue right. on. I, I would think if I were Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Southern Baptist or, or any of these other very strong cultural mm -hmm. faiths, um, that I would still be in the same position, mm -hmm. that I would still be backing away from that saying, I don't know mm -hmm. if... Or, you know, maybe if I was Mormon, I wouldn't be as much because they have an even stronger culture. So I might have been, mm -hmm. a, you know, three or four more levels of insulation and, you know, uh, process and, and entrenched maybe mm -hmm. and, and wouldn't be here. Um, I'm, I'm personally very uh, glad that I'm at this point. It mm -hmm. is very painful, though. Mm -hmm. it, it is very scary. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, existential dread and mm -hmm. fear that mm -hmm. that will grip you at times like just this morning i'm sitting there looking out the window and it's just like you, you can't uh as easily push away that thought of like we're just highly evolved bacteria mm -hmm. uh you know just living on the skim of a planet that is going to get brushed off by a you know uh, a, a solar flare that's too hot or whatever you know those are really difficult things when you really start to allow the things that you've locked away to, to, to ground a faith and a, and a meaning and a purpose. When you allow that door to open and say, have I placed these things here uh, rightly? So yeah. that those are very scary yeah. moments, especially when you have kids and everything else. It's it's a it's a hard thing. Um, yeah. I, I you know, it's funny just before you ask the next question or I answer one of the first questions that you asked. Um, uh, it's funny because Mormonism to some degree is kind of like my mirror as well. Mm. I was, I was listening to Caleb talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I read the book under the banner of heaven as well. And I yep. thought the exact same thing. Yeah, I was like, Whoa. wow, I'm reading about my own upbringing. Right. I also read a book about a uh, Jewish guy who was raised. Now, in I wouldn't say like that, that was FLDS, but like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. kind of, 
the thread that runs through it yeah. of this extreme confidence in your faith would be mm-hmm. the and and the and the cultural right uh, you know and you know indoctrination reinforcement and reinforcement yeah. all that and I also read a book uh, by a gentleman who is an Orthodox Jew and you know that's a very tight knit close community oh, yeah. and again same thing I'm like wow you know same question Caleb asked like if they're so convinced of their particular uh, philosophy and worldview and and faith. Like who's to say that I am believing anything that's any more true. And, um, I have actually a very good friend in Bangor who's the Bishop of the Mormon church. And so, uh, he's, he's in my book club. I just saw him yesterday. And so the same thing, it's like, I have a constant reminder of like, and I guess I have come to a different place where, you know, maybe you or Caleb have, and that, yeah, I want to be able to critique my faith like in a way that can stand somewhat outside of it. But I just, in that critique, have still come to a place of greater satisfaction that, yeah, there's probably a lot of things that I do just because they're cultural. Mm-hmm. But there also, in my experience, are a lot of things that are true because I think they're true. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so now you asked the question like about just where we are, you know, spirituality today. And I would just say that like our particular, um, uh, community of faith or mine, I should say mine, uh, is, is I think going through some, uh, growing pains in the Western world in that we are recognizing that it can't be just kind of the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and this is not uh, a secret, and it's across all denominations. But and if I hadn't actually asked the question, yeah. I, I think I maybe haven't asked this question on camera yet. I think yeah. I asked it before. But the question that he's responding to that he already knows, we've d- discussed it a little <laughs> bit. Uh, how do you see communal spirituality of our age changing, and what do you think is influencing those yeah. changes? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, good. Um, I mean, sociological changes in general are you know, obviously a big question. And a lot of times they're reactions to what has come before it. Mm-hmm. And so I think by and large, uh, for a long time, Christianity was not a communal experience. It was, it was at least here in the West, like there's a, a very strong individualism right. where it's a very private matter and affair. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's like me and my faith. And even, you know, as we approach the New Testament, especially the idea among most Christians for the last, I don't know, 400 years is that like all that matters is whether I am saved. Hmm. Like that's the bottom line. Am I saved? And like when I die, am I going to go to heaven? Like me as an individual, that is to some degree a very foreign concept to the Bible actually. And I think more uh, Christian and biblical interpreters are beginning to understand that, that there's a lot greater communal awareness and concern scripturally. And I think that kind of um, mirrors society in general where uh, we live in an age in the West where there is a lot more openness to and, and eagerness for a communal social experience. I mean, it's kind of, c- of a cliche, but you know, we talk about social media like there's more and more social media and yet people are more and more lonely than they've ever yeah, been. Yeah. And so like the desire for connection, I think is, is just extremely strong in society in general and churches are needing to, uh, recognize and adopt that posture 
And what I would say is that's refreshing because that is a very biblical posture. Right. And so in many ways, we're just trying to get back to the scriptural way of being uh, the church. So it's a, it's an interesting conversation for me, the idea of like the, the early American uh, religious mindset, fundamentalism and everything mm-hmm. else. Uh, and the, and the, you know, I forget what they call it, but the great awakening period, mm-hmm. late yeah. 1800s great and all that, great you know, awakening as well. Yeah. Mormonism, Adventism, uh, Jehovah's witness, all the mm-hmm. Fox sisters, Christian science, all that kind of yeah. stuff too coming out of that. And then, you know, this, this kind of unique new thing of fundamentalism as I think mostly a response to the scopes trial. I think it was mm-hmm. yeah, with evolution and everything being taught in public schools and, and how that kind of reinterpreted or solidified ideas that, that would more be in line with where people wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, it really pushed it in. I think in this era more so of this ability for certainty mm-hmm. and yeah. really kind of like, all right, there was the catalyst. Now everything's set and it's mm-hmm. not changing. We better get our positions because the battle's coming to change our minds and our culture mm-hmm. where you look at, uh, the more ancient things of like Judaism and you don't even name the name of God because mm-hmm. you might put too much of your own ideas into it and pervert the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of idea of God, I can really get behind because I, I do feel that there is just an immense amount beyond us that we don't understand. But these ideas of the ability of certainty or knowing to the degree that people think they can know truth mm-hmm. is is really, I think, deceptive. And someone had just recently shared um, something with me from from Job that was really interesting that that. Uh, you know, the, the quote of, you know, do you think you can know the depth of God? And I forget the exact quote, but it's so interesting to me now when I hear Bible verses, um, I relate to them so much more <laughs> than I did when I was trying mm. to relate to them. Because mm-hmm. when I hear them now, I hear someone who's in pain and wrestling with the ideas of God, what they think God is and what they thought God was and how their reality is not jiving with what they thought God was and is and all that. And uh, there's an, um, far more of an emotional connection to it now than when I was trying to uh, get myself to be in line and then feel like I was experiencing God or mm, something. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I'm, I'm relating more to the humanity in the Bible than, you know, the, this maybe the, the, the ideas that my religion, how I perceived it had made me think I needed yeah. to relate to it, which is, takes me back. I'm taken a little back from that. I, I don't yeah. know how to respond to that. Cause I haven't been really reading the Bible for probably four or five years now. And I've only really been attempting to pray every morning really for, you know, probably a year now. And, you know, I'm getting nothing, but there's still this odd, like, why am I relating to this more now? Hmm. Am I just being more honest with myself and I'm open to hearing something? I don't know. I'm really just mostly processing this out in the open right now. Yeah, so. that's good. <laughs> it's, that's the way to do it. And you never learn as well as when you try to explain something. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's it. No, it's interesting because um, I think what, what you've put your finger on is that the idea of certainty is a very modern idea. Mm. 
And um, we, you know, as many people like to say, we live kind of in the postmodern age, whatever that exactly means. But um, mostly ushered in by the scientific revolution and the yeah. ability to be objective about certain yeah. things like, well, religion needs to jump on board with that too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, certainty, I think, in the postmodern age is not completely discarded, but it's maybe redefined in some ways where it's not a pure mathematical equation, a syllogism, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, no, um, no era has a monopoly on truth and no era, even when it comes to scripture, like, like scripture is not a modern document. It's not trying to answer modern questions. It's not a postmodern document. It's its it's its own historical context, mm-hmm. and um, there's resonance with the modern age. There's resonance with the postmodern age, but we don't we we are we get into trouble when we try to project our you know questions into scripture to some degree. Mm. Um, but you know what what I've come to appreciate is that you know when Jesus when he's there he's standing before Pilate. And, uh, you know, Pilate asks him, what is truth? Jesus kind of just stands there as a person. Because prior to that, uh, Philip had come to him and, you know, wanted to know what the truth was. And he said, I am the truth. So Jesus didn't try to, again, point to a mathematical equation. He pointed to himself as a person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that has many implications. It helps me recognize that there is more mystery to things than I maybe thought before. Um, I spend a lot of time with Jewish people. I hang out with a, a group uh, of... They seem to have a real emphasis on uh, exploring questions rather than mm-hmm. clinging to answers. Yeah, absolutely. The, you great. know, the old joke among Jewish people is that if you get a, a room f- full of Jewish people and you have you know, 100 Jewish people, you'll have 150 different opinions on the same question. And uh, my rabbi friend that I... I spend time with each week. He pointed me to a book, and I've still yet to read it, but it's, I love the title. It's called Must a Jew Believe Anything? <laughs> and the implication is that, and this is what my friend has said, Jews don't really believe anything. We don't have dogma. We simply have a way of living. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm not ready to throw out, quote-unquote, beliefs altogether, but I think it just tells me that there's a lot more room for mystery and not having to put everything in a box like that's a very that's uh that's something i've come to through all of this very deep confusion i feel like the last time we talked it was almost three Mm -hmm. years ago when we talked in Mm -hmm. person last time i feel like i was just in an absolute emotional and cognitive fog Mm -hmm. uh, really not understanding outside of like i was in an aquarium before and i understood what was inside Mm -hmm. and at that point i was kind of like tip my head up over the top and be like, man, I don't get this. But I know that I can't completely stay in this aquarium, you know, so it's, it's a weird thing. But that idea of taking anything God or spiritual and putting it in a box, like you could fit something like that in there and then you put it on the shelf. Well, what's the danger in having something so containable mm-hmm. and able to be stored? It, it's, to me, it seems like your faith and your opinions and, and, and knowledge and spirituality and, and everything else need to be something like a really well-used tractor that's constantly getting wear and tear mm-hmm. and getting out there and breaking down and being fixed. And 
used. Not quite so much like a, you know, fancy piece of something like uh, pottery or whatever <laughs> that is on a shelf that you can use, yeah. you know, for later when in a special situation. Or, and, and it's a really hard thing to kind of um, verbalize that without mm. offending people. But I, all I can say is that I felt like I was trying to uh, get myself to a point that I would then like, okay, now I feel like I've straightened everything out enough to now I can, ex you know, God, I'll start to understand and experience God hopefully here soon. Mm -hmm. And it just was never getting there. And that's getting close to like one of the last questions that's, that's really important. But, um, but what you were just talking about kind of gets us to question number three. Question number three, yeah, everybody. Question number three. Which we skipped question number one. Question oh, number one, can't everybody. Skip question number one. Now, uh, what have you learned about humanity through being a pastor? I know mm -hmm. from being a pastor's kid <laughs> and knowing a lot of other pastors' kids and knowing a lot of other pastors that, and and just from my own experience, anything that you do that you're passionate about, if it becomes your income or your job it can wear you out and lose everything that was important about it. Now, mm -hmm. for me as a photographer, I do not pick up a camera unless I'm working. And this is kind of my own creative theory, but I want to save everything that I enjoy about photography so I enjoy it when I'm doing it. Hmm. So I don't wear myself out making creative things unless I'm working or unless I have a special project that I want to do personally. But mm -hmm. I'm not the photographer that runs around constantly with a camera taking pictures of everything. You don't take pictures of your kids for... I've got like two. <laughs> I literally have like two that I set up lights and took and made pretty. Wow. And my wife will tell you how upset she is about that. She's, <laughs> she's hired other photographers to take pictures of her family because I'm... Yeah. The cobbler's kids don't have shoes. That's, that's what that is. But I'm sad for you now for for your kids. I'll come take them. I you know I do. A little I have tons of iPhone photos of yeah. them. But okay, yeah. so that's not real photography though. No, you haven't gotten to that point no. where you've surrendered to iPhones taking good pictures. No, they do take good pictures, but there's there's psychology and truth behind things that you pay people for. Yeah, no, that's it's a different level of. I don't. I I have to figure that out someday. So I can uh, verbalize it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> yes. But yeah, what have, what have you learned about humanity in, in, in being a pastor? Yeah, let me also say that I'm deconstructing pastoring. So <laughs> this well, is yeah, a process. Again, kind yeah. of the thing that I've noticed from your social media posts and everything else that I think is valuable, that if everyone just kind of goes on business as mm. usual, society advances and the, the traditions <laughs> that hold what were something that was something that was initially valuable, they, if they don't, you know, uh, update, evolve, whatever, mm -hmm. they get left. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there is value in a, in a lot of religious culture, tradition, and everything else, but it gets uh, antiquated, dated, and left behind very quickly because mm -hmm. it's something that people call sacred, so it must never change. Mm -hmm. And so it gets, yeah. you know, discarded yeah. eventually. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the core doesn't necessarily change, but the the expression of it, you know, does. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but anyway, back to the question: What have I learned about humanity? Um, this may sound very disappointing and like a cliche, but I have I have discovered that everyone's hurting, and um, 
everybody longs for some sort of connection. Mm. Um, and everybody has emotional problems and you know, whether, <laughs> Hey, right here. Yeah. Me, yeah. I, I do. Um, and I, I've been reading a lot of, uh, lately on shame and vulnerability and emotional intelligence. And the reality is, is that a lot of the challenges that a pastor might face or people in a church might face, they don't have much to do with biblical issues. They don't have much to do with theological, philosophical issues. They have to do with just people having emotional intelligence. I'm very low. (laughs) I'm very low on the emotion. I think my wife's pretty high on the emotional intelligence and I'm pretty low. I have, I I think I'm more in the like uh, rational analytical like kind of area, but man, I I really just run into a wall. The fact that you can even articulate that you're low on the emotional intelligence scale indicates that you are not as low as you probably think. I, I'm maybe... I'm I'm hoping I'm high on the self honesty scale. That's yeah. that's like <laughs> I think that's just a choice you can make. Mm-hmm. That as soon as you can figure out to be like, look, just being honest about it, you've got nothing to lose. I found that sharing uh, and admitting where you failed mm-hmm. is just very uh, healing. It's and step cathartic. number one in the twelve yeah. steps. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna be on step number <laughs> one the rest of my life, pretty much. So. Yeah. No, but that's that's it. Like, there's a lot of emotional. Um, baggage that people have and a lot of pain that develops through the course of one's life. And um, a lot of people just are lonely and whether they realize that or not, whether they can articulate it or not, um, like we are created for human connection. And I'm going to use that word created because that's the term that I have landed on, but it's a judgment free zone. This is a judge. Thank you, Trent. <laughs> I won't judge you either. Um, no, we are. And even, uh, psychologists and sociologists who are not necessarily theists will say that we're hardwired for connection. Yeah. I, it, I do find it kind of funny when, uh, I listen to a lot of, uh, uh evolution creation mm-hmm. debate stuff and all that. It's, it's interesting to me. But you'll hear evolutionists say things like, well, we're designed to, like, wait, wait, wait. I get, you know, they they infer that evolution designed that way. some sort of... But, yeah, that's a whole different ballgame. But, no, no, we're, we're, yeah, we are hardwired for connection, and we can't, we're we're social creatures. So, I mean, this is probably not all that profound, but that's what I've learned. Yeah. I I had... uh, an epiphany the other day, and I just spoke with this, yeah, I think about this a day or two ago in another podcast, but you being a very uh, community organizing person mm-hmm. to a degree, uh, the difference, and, and this is a lot of the issue that I had with, uh, you know, Adventism as, as I viewed it, mm-hmm. which I probably would have viewed any mm-hmm. culturally strong religion as my experience. Could I pause? Sure. Can you define culturally strong just... Just wanna, um, I want to make sure. Yeah, like any. Don't lose your thoughts. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you. no, it's it's the difference between community and tribalism. So okay, so I don't forget it. But um, yeah, like a culturally strong religion is going to be, uh, you know, on the extreme spectrum, you're going to have like FLDS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's dire physical consequences maybe mm-hmm. if you uh, distance yourself from that, and you look different and you look Mm -hmm. the same and you know 
uh, that's one extreme. Mm-hmm. And then you step back from that and you get in more into the hue of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mormonism, Adventism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witness. Those, the, the religions that are more, uh, you know, it's, it's a hubbub if someone's stepping back from it. You mm-hmm. know, we, Caleb and I would hear of, of people in like Florida that were talking about like their questioning Adventism. Like, it's like, well, why is that news? You mm-hmm. know, but it's, is a, you know, when it's a really strong knit community yeah. and, and like, uh, Mormonism, Adventism, I don't know about Jehovah's Witness, but you know, when you go to the same, uh, denominational schools, yeah. you know, like grade school through, uh, university, that's a culturally yeah. strong, you know. So what I hear you saying is that, because culture itself is not a bad thing. It's not, there's no implications of it. What you're saying is that there's a greater m- monolithism, if I can say that, like a it's uniformity. A, it's more of a monochromatic yeah. experience growing up in it. There's and, a uniformity, yeah. yeah. In, lar- in, in more areas, like larger body of areas. Yeah, and yeah. There's, there's implied social pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, within that community of staying within that community it's it's far less of you know if you were a unitarian growing mm-hmm. up it's like oh you're going somewhere else we'll have a great yeah. time come back and visit you know, whatever but that is a cultural yeah belief but, as well yeah and i and i would i guess i'm implying in a strong cultural religion that it's you know saying that it, it it's kind of like a a a cold war nation where there's mm-hmm. boundaries like you're not leaving you know, yeah. as so compared like, to like a free country, like absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and come back anytime, yeah. you know, gotcha. Yeah. Good. So it's, you know, in there. So, um, so the, the thing I was thinking the other day, and I'd love your opinion on this is that when you, when you get into things like shame mm-hmm. and, and guilt and everything else, and an idea of how you're going to approach life, how you're going to deal with it, how you're going to deal with pain, loss, and, and how you're going to relate to the unknown. Mm-hmm. And then take those things and think about now tribalism and community. Mm-hmm. They're both groups of people and, and how you relate. When you look at community, someone can be losing a mother one day, and that same day someone can be gaining a child. And if you're strong within that community, uh, it's, it's like an emotional connective net where, mm-hmm. you know, on that same day you're losing your mother, you're also hearing about your good friend that's having a child. And it, and it evens out the experience of life, and you can't go too low or, you know, too high without bringing someone else up with you, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tide that raises all boats, and it, and it keeps a, a moderation there. And, and that's a way of, I think, community embraces ideas of love, sharing, giving, and caring. Mm-hmm. Now, if we switch over to tribalism, tribalism to me uh, embraces more the idea of control, of uh, shaming, mm-hmm. of exclusion, and conquering, and overpowering, mm-hmm. and you know maintaining control. These these can be one and the same too, uh, or you know they can weed out that they can be lesser degrees in either thing, but you know, I saw a lot of um, sprinklings of tribalism mm-hmm. in these more culturally strong religions where you got into ideas of certainty, mm-hmm. where we know for certain that God thinks this about that, mm-hmm. so X, Y, and Z, you know. And, and 
to me, it, it plays into the further questions there, like how do we actually know these things? And by what means do we come to know them? And, and it feels like these ideas of, of certainty and being able to grab onto those things that are in a box mm-hmm. will lend itself to tribalism more than community if you're not careful. Could, I, I might I might take exception in this sense. Um, That's not allowed here. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to walk off the set. This interview is over. Um, I don't I don't know that the problem is certainty. Mm-hmm. I think the problem comes when my certainty must become your certainty at my time and my pace in the same time that I I arrived at it. Mm. Um, so like. I think Christianity at its core, properly understood, is very eager to establish certainty, but that precise certainty allows me to give you the freedom not to be certain at this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if my certainty is in a person who values me and cares for me, regardless of where I am at the moment with my certainty, that you know, influences me to extend grace to you. Now, how would you define certainty in that situation? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, It is not in my mind, a, an objective, you know, like empirically provable uh, theory or equation or syllogism. To me, certainty derives from, I'll just be open and honest, a subjective experience. Right. Like I am certain of God's existence because I've experienced him. I've not heard his voice audibly, um, but I'm certain about his existence the same way that I'm certain I really like pineapple juice. Like yeah. I've tasted it. I enjoy it. Every time I drink it, I rem- am reminded why I like it. So certainty to me is not a, I guess, the only way I can define it is by telling you what it isn't in some ways. There's a, there's a vein of, um, not theology, but, uh, maybe theology that explores God by what God is not. Do you know what that's called? Yeah. It's, like apoph- it's not yeah. apophatic. Ap- ap- I think it is uh, something like yeah. that. Apophatic. Yeah. Apophatic. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to explain it to Amber <laughs> last night and I was like, apathetic. And she's like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's that. Are no. you certain that's it? Um, yeah, so no, but I, I guess just positively, I would say certainty is a, um, a commitment to a personal encounter with something outside of myself. See, now I, I can get behind that, but it's yeah. interesting to me that you seemingly had to have a little bit of like, I'm just going to be honest and open here that it's a subjective yeah, certainty well, that you might carry a little stigma that oh, yeah. you might get in trouble for saying that. But and and what what are you implying that? Well, like, and it, it seems to me, and I'm open to being very wrong about pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to me that that you can get yourself in trouble within these type of circles of Adventism and everything mm-hmm. else if you were to admit, well, it's it's only a subjective truth here that we're dealing with. But there there's definitely a desire to say no, no, no. This is truth. I would say maybe not because the reason I was qualifying it is because of your uh, 
objectivist materialists who might be listening mm-hmm. who are saying, oh, yeah, here comes, you know, somebody who can't test this in a test tube. Like, right. So I'm, I'm thinking more about the skeptic. Than, okay. Like, I don't I don't think that um, I don't encounter a lot of Christians, at least in my circles, who would be uncomfortable with the idea, per se, that this is a subjective thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think most of us would say that there are objective evidences for our faith mm-hmm. um you know insofar as we can agree upon what does it mean to be objective like that's a whole other discussion perhaps um but like the admission that uh that this is a very personal thing i think is something that a lot of people are comfortable with now maybe i mean that's not been your experience apparently well it's it's like as a kid you you'd hear the squeaky wheels mm-hmm. and you'd think well, because they're the ones that are raising the stink. They must be the hardcore people that, mm-hmm. you know, really have this on lockdown. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't know. You just, like, I never had that kind of thing coming from my parents mm-hmm. or anyone, uh, you know, that that I really held in high regard. But I felt like the culture told me that i don't i don't yeah, know how no, to explain I th- that I, I i agree with you that there is there is there there's i mean as a be, pastor yeah you'll get these people in your church oh, yeah. and oh, they'll yeah. want to slam down some doctrine and they'll want mm-hmm. you to and if you don't they're calling the whoever mm-hmm. and the what and so <laughs> and you're getting the call at nine at night like oh gosh not this guy again yeah. Eric. and in i don't know i would submit to you and i was going to say this before that the reason people are like that is not because they have certainty, it's because they have uncertainty. Right, but as a kid, yeah, you don't you don't understand you don't process that. It that way. Yeah, I mean, like now I'm getting to a ripe old age where I, where I understand and going through this process, I understand that as you were saying, we we are all so damaged in so many different ways, and then it it makes us cling to certain things and insist on certain things Mm -hmm. and want to control and, and everything else. And oftentimes the people that are in some of the most confident, you know, Mm -hmm. positions of leadership uh, are the most damaged Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes the farthest off, Mm -hmm. but they, they have a drive an insatiable Mm -hmm. drive because of this fear initially in some way uh in childhood or whatever that you know pushes them to that point and then yeah it the whole thing is really difficult for me because i'm just so for some reason not group oriented Hmm. i you know i love again conversations like this but as soon as you get into a group george carlin had a funny take on this is like as soon as you get love individuals but as soon as you get a group thinking the same they start to make themselves armbands and <laughs> kill people and you know it's true and yeah. so it's 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 a it's a different thing like humans compared to groups mm-hmm. and, and how you deal with them and that's just intrinsic in community and mm-hmm. church and everything else which mm-hmm. can be uh, really difficult especially growing up like I did in a community that had a pressure of we've, you know, this is it, we've all got it. Mm -hmm. And, and you need to absorb this. So you make it to the next level. And, you know, I don't, I still don't know what to do with that exactly. Well, I mean, part of that is why I'm exploring how to, um, express my faith corporately in a different way, which Mm -hmm. is why, 
I'm trying to move my congregation more towards sitting around in the living room with 10 people as the primary vehicle of, you know, expressing faith and, and growing in faith than sitting in a pew with a hundred people where one guy is just, right. You know, right. Preaching at everybody. I, interestingly, at, at a church that we will leave nameless, <laughs> um, you know, there less was than a hundred, less than a thousand miles from here <laughs> within, within a thousand miles, <laughs> um, you know, in a long, in a, in a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago. Um, you know, that they, they everything kind of hit the fan oddly. And, and, uh, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm all, I'll stay at home and have people over mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, someone very close to me f- still felt that, no, you have to go to the building where they do this and there's a piano and then people stand up and sit down and stand <laughs> up and sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down. And then you have a meal that is, and, and, you know, different strokes for different folks, but you know, so I stayed home and there was probably, you know, 10 of us or so that, that would come there. And, uh, I still get, when I see some of them, they're, they're still like, you know, that was a really meaningful time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but eventually at the, church someone said something eventually to amber like don't you feel bad that he's choosing those people over you mm-hmm. and that really you know that really hurt her she came home and told me and i didn't want her to feel that way so i was like all right you know fine i'll i'll go back to and it's it's just an odd an odd thing well Very odd par- thing. part of the i think part of the uh concern about that sort of thing and the thing that we're trying to do is it it's a loss of control Mm. and I don't know what's going on in that house. And I don't know if Trent, like what kind of conversations he's having (laughs) with those people. Right. Right. And he needs to be, he needs to be where I am with my truth because that validates my own security in that truth. The more people I get to agree with the things that I believe, the more I can be convinced that it's right. And I just say, I don't need a million people to agree with me to, be grounded in its truth. So that's just where I am. And Mm -hmm. certainty allows me to give other people freedom rather than feeling like they have to be right where I am. Subjective certainty. Subjective. Well, yeah, whatever you want, (laughs) however you want to define it. All right. So let's get into the, to the more, uh, philosophical, Mm -hmm. uh, approach to even before you step on the Bible as a foundation, Mm -hmm. the, spiritual discernment, uh, you know, ration logic and everything else that would allow someone to, you know, arrive here from a distant planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not talking God, right? We're talking an alien, an alien boom, lands on the planet and, oh, the, or, you know, you're born at 30, let's say, mm-hmm. and, or let, Hey, let's go with you were born, but you were in a coma until you were 30. All right, good. <laughs> Make believe we can do anything we want. <laughs> right. But what are the, how do you take the steps to then say, yeah, I think it's, it's legitimately, you know, okay to start to believe in something that not, that is not really objective Mm -hmm. to believe in, in an, in an objective manner. Um, and so how do you define objective and subjective and how does it apply to your faith? Ah, man. You gave me this question ahead of time and I didn't think much about it. So. <laughs> um, that's all right. You learn the most when you explain. That's right. I'm going to make it up as I go. And at the end, I'm going to be like, yeah, that was true. Yeah. Um, no, like objective. I, I guess 
maybe I, boy, I'm going to sound like a postmodern here for a second, Uh-oh. you know, which, you know, may be troubling to your random Adventist listener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure mm-hmm. there's millions of them listening. Um, <laughs> We're pre- pretty, pretty small <laughs> podcast at this point. I don't think you'll get in trouble. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I'm over, you know, exaggerating a little bit, but like, I'm not sure I fully understand what we mean by objective. Like, what well, do you mean? When I, like, I guess you've asked me how I right. define it, and I'm asking, I'm throwing it back sure. on you. Uh, to me, subjective would mean it, it's something that outside of us will retain the same properties, mm-hmm. and the same perception, 100%. Mm-hmm. And absolutely everyone will see it the same way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the weight of a rock yeah. is an objective quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can measure it here in India or wherever, and everyone's like, yeah, that's the weight of the rock. No one's going to argue about it. Maybe. But it's a relative thing. It can be, objective can be relative, because you can take that rock to the moon and weigh it, and it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. So it's relative, but it is objective. It's an objective type Mm -hmm. of quality. Mm -hmm. Um, The the subjective is going to be far more, uh, you know, it isn't an objective thing that uh, skunks stink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because everyone agrees on it in no way makes it objective. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going to agree that skunks stink, but that's not an objective property because good and bad are not objective qualities. They're subjective qualities. Mm-hmm. So it, it's basically, I can, I can put objective and subjective in these two different camps and say everything over here, objective, these are just qualities that are going, no one's going to disagree on them, period. You know, and unless there's, you know, quantum physics levels or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, weight of things, color even is subjective when you really get down mm-hmm. to it. But then what it leads you to start to realize is that most everything is subjective, mm-hmm. except until you get down to these razor thin margins of things that mean very little other than what they just mean, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's someone had said something recently that I heard there's the, the lowest form of meaning is like objective meaning. It, mm-hmm. it only means what it means and it doesn't infer anything else as a purpose or meaning or anything. It's mm-hmm. a very, it's like a thousandth of a decimal point kind of thing. Um, so that's where I would put yeah. objective and subjective. So when it comes to things like spirituality, I have a really hard time with things like the Bible because I'm, where I was starting at three years mm-hmm. ago, I was trying to like, all right, I need something to grab onto here in an, in an objective way. And there's nothing to grab onto objectively. There's well, see, I, I guess, yeah. So I would, I, would, I would question that. And part of why I was kind of pushing back a little bit is because I, to some degree, what is implied in this discussion about objective versus subjective is that something that is objective is inherently superior to like, that seems to be. Yeah. And again, I think that goes back to the scientific revolution. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we all living longer? Mm -hmm. Why do we have these great technologies? Why do we have, you know, everything material advantageous that we have now? Mm -hmm. Scientific revolution, Mm -hmm. scientific discovery, objective properties that we can pin down and then manipulate to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And that's really bad when you start to try and do that to spiritual things mm-hmm. because 
they're just simply not objective in the same way. Well, so I'm about to disagree with you. Uh oh. Okay. Again, so do I have to leave? Um, like to me, that's why history is so important. Mm -hmm. Like there are historical claims mm -hmm. that Scripture makes sure. that allow me to sort of examine it objectively. Like. You know, for example, for a long time, archaeologists said, oh, all that silly stuff about the kings of Judah, like these people didn't exist. And as any good Christian archaeologist will say, the absence of evidence is never the evidence of absence. Right. And then what do you know? One day they discover a coin that talks about, you know, a Hezekiah or whatever. So like these are, I would say, historically objective things that we can, you know, test and so forth. Or, you know, and I think I mentioned this in the past in uh, email interactions, like Jesus. And of course, that's like the, to me, that's the whole fulcrum that around sure. which the whole thing, you know, operates. Like, okay, number one, did Jesus really exist? Mm -hmm. we, and we can say he did to the same extent that, was it Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great. Well, I mean, we to... can even say it to a greater extent because the earliest uh, historical documents we have citing alexander the great are 400 years after he existed no oh, really yeah. the earliest uh we have of jesus is some 30 years right so i mean that establishes my confidence so, like, a little bit more i i completely agree with you on that um you know uh, i don't know that i necessarily call it objective but a very reliable you mm -hmm. know historical evidence right mm -hmm. that this man who said these things existed mm -hmm. Uh, it, to me, it's then when when you go to the Andy was the son of God, mm -hmm. Andy raised from the dead. Yeah, that's when you start to get into people's subjective experience of mm -hmm. interacting with this person. And I know as soon as someone dies, they become a better person mm -hmm. in the memory of everyone that was around him. Now, am, am I saying that's what happened with Christ? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I you know, I. That right now is like I'm coming from an idea of I need a, some something to grab onto objectively, like three years ago mm -hmm. to now. And I've, I've gotten to a point of realizing that there's very um, thin objective evidence for me. And I would think that far more should be possible in the subjective experience mm -hmm. of relationship and spiritual life in that way mm -hmm. that I could experience maybe and hold in an open hand mm -hmm. and, and follow that path and, and find it that way. Mm -hmm. I haven't really transferred over to that part of the journey yet. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, but, but I, I think, you know, I wouldn't be quick. Like to me, what I, what I was saying is that, okay, number one, did Jesus exist? I think you have to be really off, you know, off out of your mind, to say that he never existed. Pretty adamant to proving that he, you yeah. don't want him to exist, yeah, yeah, yeah. to not like exist most, at all. Most, most people who have studied anything about you know Jesus agree that he was a real person, really existed. Then it becomes a question of, okay, what did he really say? And um, you know, sure. that's a whole other, that's a whole other um, conversation and field and so forth. But then there's other things like, okay, this idea of a resurrection. Number one, did re people really believe that that took place? Right. Like, yes, there's a whole 
again, a whole field of study that devotes itself to the resurrection of Jesus. Did he really, well, first of all, did people believe he, did, he resurrected? When did they believe it? How did they believe it? Why did they believe it? So those are like questions that I think you can kind of, I don't, I don't know that they're going to turn a, an atheist or a skeptic into a believer. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it does happen sometimes, but they are questions that are worth examining. Right. And they provide a little more outside evidence than just, man, when I prayed this prayer, did I have a good feeling when I prayed it? Right. You know what I'm saying? I wish there were more ability for an, a, the subjective experience of knowing mm-hmm. rather than, uh, you know, dwelling within emotions mm-hmm. and, and hoping that that's not just your emotions. That's, that's the hard thing for me is that I know whatever I want to be, mm-hmm. I will be, um, easily in danger of easily being convinced of that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, you had mentioned earlier about, uh, something about stripping away kind of the humanity, not the humanity, but a lot of the human additive of a lot of things mm-hmm. to, to see what's really there. And that's kind of what I've been doing for the last three years is, Seeing, all right, how am I going to be misled by my own desires, my mm-hmm. emotions, and everything else to then try and figure out what's true? I guess I would say, like, what's the danger um, in, in trying it out for a while? If, like, you're saying, man, I really want God to exist, but I'm skeptical that my desire will deceive me. It's like, why not try it out? Like, what's the problem with that? If it's not true, what what do I lose anyway? Right. Well, it's, I mean, I'm I'm definitely trying that yeah, right yeah. now. I mean, I'm I'm praying every morning yeah. and and you know hoping that I'll just kind of like, oh hey, you know, <laughs> um, you know, but you know, I'm getting nothing, and that's fine. Uh, I don't expect there to be anything. What are you praying? Let's get personal here. Trent. Um, it used to be I'd, I'd swear at God a little bit first. Yeah, that's cool, <laughs> and I think that's cleansing. Um, but now it's, it's just more so like, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why on earth should I believe, you know, the entire progenitor of everything that is can't even make a peep in any way, shape or form outside of what could be explained as coincidence mm-hmm. to let me know you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's extremely difficult to know that I have friends that have been inches from suicide, just begging for God to say something because they're so mm. down and out and miserable and they hear nothing, but luckily they don't pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, that... Maybe they... Well, so they didn't pull the trigger. Right, but... You know, why... You know, and, and I know Adventism has an answer for this, why God can't speak up and in the character of God being, you know... Mm-hmm. It, all that, and it, 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 it's an odd thing to exist in that religion and know the end from the beginning and to know how all the answers are there mm-hmm. and, and then get to a point of realizing that, you know, the, the human psyche and emotions are extremely deceptive. The human heart beyond anything is deceptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to realize how you know, uh, belief cultures can change, grow, manipulate, uh, degrade everything else. It, I, I can, 
I can be left with the idea that there is something beyond and, and I can attempt to um, interact with that mm-hmm. and not really expect a whole lot and hold it in an open hand, not, mm-hmm. not condemn people for being born with a certain sexual orientation because mm-hmm. that, that is the, the major danger that I find is mm-hmm. that you know kids born into Adventism that are gay, when they come to a point of realizing, holy cow, I'm attracted to you know, mm-hmm. the same sex, that their parents aren't going to accept them, mm-hmm. their community isn't going to accept them, and they will at some point become suicidal. Mm-hmm. And what are we basing that on? You know, we're, we're basing that on things that we've received subjectively and turned into boxes that we then pull off the shelf and say, nope, you can't mm-hmm. do that because God won't approve of that. And, you, you know, you'll... You know, if you're Southern Baptist, you're, you'll burn in hell forever. Or if you're Adventist, you'll just go to sleep forever. So I have, you know, all of that, I just mm-hmm. have to push off to the side right now and be still and know that there's a God or be still and hope that there's mm-hmm. a God really at this point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really painful existence, honestly, to go to from having mm-hmm. so much surety or, mm-hmm. or the idea that I could have surety mm-hmm. in the past, but never having it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... Um, no, I hear you. I, I, I don't have some, despite what your experience was in Adventism, I don't have all the answers. But I, I know, I like, I I have a lot of peace because I, I, we have, you know, my Camille and I have our own podcast, my wife Camille. And from time to time, we interview people who are not, you know, on the straight and narrow when it comes to faith and Mm -hmm. just an interview with an atheist that we know. And I have a lot more peace than I think a lot of other Christians do uh, in general that like God's going to sort it all out and you're going to be, you're going to be fine. Like, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Like I, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Like if there is a God, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm totally not worried about it. Mm -hmm. Like I, cause what I do know as I'm, I'm, I'm desiring truth far more than I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm scared of. So, what am I scared of? Don't know. You'll have to tune into the next podcast and see. We had a really good discussion with Sean, and it ended up going for almost two hours. So we've broken it into two episodes. You'll have to tune in to see what it is I'm really scared of when I think about belief and God and all that. And the next one will be just as good as the first, maybe even better. So check it out. And thanks for watching. Remember, you can support us on Patreon and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast. Or if you're an Android person, you can uh, download or listen to the podcast directly on uh, our website, fastnoodle.com. Thanks a lot, and see you next time, or listen to you next time. Bye-bye.